Theology Gals, episode 22, When Your Husband is Addicted to Pornography, with Vicki T.D. Knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. This week my co-host Ashley is back. So and I'm yeah, really finally. Back. Yes, finally. We kind of had Ashley was on vacation, I was on vacation, Ashley was on vacation. We were never home at the same time. So now we are we are both here. And we want before we even start this episode, we wanted to address something. This episode is not for young ears. This episode is a very is a very adult topic because we are talking about when your husband is addicted to pornography. And so this is not this is not an episode for young people to be listening. Ashley, do you have anything to add on that? I just No, I think I just wanted to make that point that just I wouldn't I wouldn't have your kids listen to to this episode. But it, it's a great it's going to be a great interview. So yes. we're going to be talking to Vicki TD, who has written a book called When Your Husband is Addicted to Pornography. But it's not just about that. It's about learning to look to the Lord and the healing that the Lord brings when you're going through that. And it's, we already taped it. It's just a very, she has so many wonderful things to say. So I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. So, Ashley, how was Italy? Um, it was great. Um, I think I ate all the pasta and drank all the wine that is in Italy. So I think they're out. <laughs> I don't think there is any more um, pasta there. So how was the food? Was it good? The food was really good. And it was, you know, it's, this is like totally side note. I was with someone who has a gluten, not allergy, but like gluten doesn't sit well with them. Yeah. But they could eat any pasta in Italy and be fine. I don't know. It's like the way they process it or something. But she was totally fine the whole time we were there. And she was very happy because she was like, I don't want to miss out on, you know, all this good food. But I'd like to find out what they use because that is really, that's that's really neat. I think it's just the processing. That's what I hear. It's just how they, it's very fresh and the processing is different. So, yeah, it was really, really good. Um, we were there for 10 days, which was a long time, but it was it was a great trip. I pretty much got to see most of the country. I went to like seven different Italian cities. Um, I got to go to the Vatican. Oh, 
Um, How was that? <laughs> I say that and you have like a smirk on your face. Um, no, the Vatican was really cool um, historically, but you know, the whole time you're there, you're like, I'm a Protestant, like uh, a little bit uncomfortable, you know, but it was cool to see it. I did get to see like the St. Peter's, you know, Basilica, that famous painting and stuff. And um, it was very hot. And there was so many people. They said that the Vatican is the number one place you will get pickpocketed in Italy because really? thousands of people go there every day and cost 20 bucks to go in. And so these gypsies or whatever will pay the 20 euros to go in and they'll they'll walk away with a couple thousand dollars pickpocketing. So um, you just have to be very careful if you go to the Vatican. It's not, not a safe place for your wallet or purse. So we were being very watchful. No one got their purse stolen, thankfully. Um, but yeah, that was really cool. And then we went to Florence and Venice which Venice is really interesting. So I saw some of your pictures and it, yeah, it looked it was, really amazing. Yeah, it was really good. The pasta was good. The wine was good and a lot and cheaper everywhere, right? Yeah. It's like, like I will never like here, I will never order a glass of wine with dinner. Cause like $9 or something. Right. I'm like for a glass of wine. Are you kidding me there? It's like two euros. Like it's like nothing. Like, it's cheaper than water. Yeah. And it's good. You're just like, geez, what are we doing in the United States? <laughs> too much. Yeah. $9. That's how much I pay for a bottle of wine sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend it if you ever – I mean, as a Protestant, like, every city you go to, they're like, oh, this is this famous, like, Catholic um, – church every city because like the whole country um i mean it's only been unified for like 150 years but the whole country at one time or another has just been dominated by catholicism so it's a little interesting you know yeah one thing i was watching something i cannot tell you what it was but it was talking about the history in europe because of the different state churches right and so yeah you have I was watching some different documentaries on um, on YouTube, and I think it was in one of those. But and so you have whatever their state churches. Uh, a lot of times, there's still a strong percentage of those people. Now, it might not be a conservative mm -hmm. one of those churches. So, for instance, in in Sweden, Norway, Finland. Well, I think there's a lot of Catholics there, but the state church was Lutheran, liberal Lutheran, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. But it is interesting how that kind of. Uh... It, it was. I asked. We we were doing a a walking tour of Florence, and I asked the guide, like, there's in Florence. If anyone's ever been there, is the biggest church I've ever seen. It's amazing. Like it is. You can see it from far, far away. It's beautiful. Um, and I said, do people go to mass here? Like on Sunday? Like it's so pretty, you know. And she said, mm, some. And I was like, okay, like how many? And she's like, well, in Italy, only about 5% of Catholics go to Mass. Oh. She's like, we're kind of in a religious crisis. And I was like, oh, wow, 5%. You know, that's a really small amount of people that are saying I'm Catholic that actually go to Mass. 
on Sundays. So I think there's just a a lot of nominal Catholicism. I was going to you know? ask that. Yeah. Because we have that in the United States too. Right. Catholics. We have we have Catholics that that go that go to mass for Christmas and Easter, and that's pretty much it. And evangelicals <laughs> who right. do that too. <laughs> someone who is it that calls them priesters? Is it someone we know? Someone I know calls them priesters because they go Christmas and Easter. So they're priests. That one. I'm Priester <laughs> Christians. I was like, oh, it's pretty funny. So. Yeah, well, our vacations have not been as exciting. We just went up to the mountains, but we did um, go up to Glenwood Springs. I got horribly sunburned. I have not been that, I don't know oh. when I was that sunburned. You know, when, they, when I'm going on the gondola up to this adventure park, even higher, and they have sunscreen, and the guy says, you're going to want to put sunscreen on, and I said, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. That was stupid of me. Yeah, what was I thinking? The tops of my hands were sunburned. I'm like, I don't even, like, has that ever happened in my life? So I learned I learned my lesson when you're in the mountains. You can put on sunscreen. Summer. Yes, yeah. and it was especially, especially hot that day, but I did get to go zip lining. There's a zip line up there. and Ooh, fun. There's... There's so it's the way it's set up this adventure park in Glenwood Springs. There's like seven or eight different things you can do there. Mm -hmm. So you can pay just to take the gondola up because you have to go up this on the gondola to get to it. But they have an alpine slide, they've got a roller coaster, they have this thing that swings over the canyon. I mean, hmm. you just have all these different things, but you can you can get like a, a all day pass do those things unlimited, which I did not do, or my sister-in-law didn't do either. The kids did it. Or you can, you know, just pay for what you want to do. And so the kids got, you know, the unlimited passes. And Oh, they also have caves you can travel travel through up there. I didn't do that. I ended up not doing that because some of the kids wanted to go in the cave. Some wanted to go on the rides. So I went with the ones that wanted to go on the rides. But we had we had a lot of fun. We camped, and we'll be camping again in a couple of weeks. So oh, sounds like fun. When you say gondola, are you talking about a Venetian gondola, like like a boat, like a no? So what it is? I was also on a gondola on my vacation. So this, um, so this is like a enclosed thing. Do you know? I don't remember what it's called. There used to be a ride at Disneyland that was like way high up and you were in this like enclosed capsule thing there'd be like four people and you and it was hanging from a wire and it would go across the park I don't know oh like a like almost like a ski lift but it's enclosed yeah, that's exact I was actually gonna say that next but oh they, okay they're pretty big you can actually fit six people in each one so <gasps> it is very much yeah, like a I know exactly lift. what you're talking about okay so, and this place is pretty new and the gondolas are pretty new. We've been to, we've been in some small gondolas where we fear for our lives. <laughs> this one was, this one was, is newer and, and pretty nice and pretty big. The only thing is it was so hot in there because they didn't have much of a vent and we're like dying of heat. But other than that, so that was, it was just a fun, it was just a fun little thing. So, but I'm glad that you're back and I'm sure our audience is glad Maybe. I don't know. Let's not ask them. <laughs> I, I don't want to know. I'm just going to assume that they're happy. <laughs> and before we're going to go to a commercial and come back with our guests, but I wanted just again to remind you that our get with this guest that's coming up, we're talking about, we're talking to wives whose husbands are addicted to pornography. This is not an appropriate episode for kids and even most teenagers. So, 
parents use your discretion please and also don't listen to it in front of your kids if you like to listen while you're cooking dinner and your kids are around you know wait till a time when you're alone to listen to it because it's just a very sensitive topic it's not yeah and I'd also like to add, even if this is not something you know much about, this isn't an issue in your life, I would say it's still worth a listen so that you, if someone ever comes to you that's, you know, struggling with this in their marriage, that you, you'd, you'd know a little more about it and be a little more informed on how to help them. Because we do talk about that, how to help women who, who are struggling with this. And we talk a little about how to protect your children. And we may be doing another episode in the future just focusing on that. So I think yeah. almost any woman can benefit from this. We even talk about the warning signs. And so, so we were, we will be right back with our, with our special guest. This podcast is a member of the Bible thumping wingnut network. All right. Welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda radio. Hi, welcome to theology gals. Welcome everyone to the logical belief ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the school of biblical hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to grappling with theology. What is going on guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to slick answers. Good evening and welcome to the conversations from the port. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. And we are back, and today we have with us Vicki TV, and she has written the book, When Your Husband is Addicted to Pornography, Healing Your Wounded Heart. And Ashley and I are so excited to have her on because this is something, this is a topic that we hear from women constantly about. They write us and say, my husband's addicted to pornography and I don't know what to do. And so we're just so grateful that Vicki was willing to come on today and talk to us. And we even asked in our group, what are some questions you want us to ask her? Because we know a lot of the women in our group have read her book already. So we even have some of those. We're going to do just some basic questions that Ashley and I have come up with. And then we're going to do some of the questions we got from women in the group. And so Vicki, before we get started, can you just maybe share a little bit about yourself and why you wrote the book? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I am very happily married to a godly man and live in Rochester, Minnesota and have three kids. I'm a homeschool mom. Just a couple of years left of homeschooling after many years, I've kind of lost track, but over 14 years, I think I've been homeschooling. Um, and I wrote this book because um, I was married previously to a man who was very addicted to pornography and it didn't it didn't stay just looking at internet. This was, you know, 20 plus years ago when the internet was pretty brand new. And um, in fact, I always joke, it's when Katie Kirk said, what is that little A with the circle around it? Like people didn't mm -hmm. know what it was. And so this was really, the term internet pornography wasn't even a thing. There weren't any books or resources out there. And so it was just a very difficult time and his behavior escalated until it was going beyond the marriage bed. It was going beyond the computer. He was taking clandestine trips with other people. And, and I was um, at a health risk 
emotionally, physically, and sexually. And so my pastor and a Christian counselor eventually encouraged me after, you know, years of trying to get help for him, um, you know, just said, this isn't, this isn't working. And he is not abiding by the marriage covenant and didn't take it seriously. And, and you need to leave because you're no longer safe. And so my marriage ended and that was devastating. Um, but we have a really redemptive God who in his graciousness, um, while it wasn't in his plan to restore my marriage at that time, it was part of his plan to restore my heart. And mm -hmm. so I really sought healing in him and continued with Christian counseling. And then a few years later, remarried and we added two more boys to our family. I had a daughter in my first marriage. And um, as I, as I um, continued working on myself, I started speaking for women's conferences and retreats as a Bible teacher. And in the course of that, I would share my testimony. And this is part of my story. And more and more women, like you've experienced, kept coming to me saying, this is my story too. I need help. What, how do I do this? How did you find healing? And in the end, after doing a women's retreat one weekend, I was challenged by the women to write a Bible study for women in this situation. And that's mm -hmm. what came about. It really is written like a Bible study for those who have taken a look at it. But that's how, that's how this book came about. Um, I can tell you, I wasn't happy when God called me to do this. <laughs> you know, yeah. I really wanted to wrestle this one down. Even when I asked the question in the group, a lot of the women wrote me privately. Yeah. And it's it's just a difficult thing for women to even want to talk to other women about, I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I jokingly call this, but it really is no joke. I call this book a brown paper bag book. Mm. Nobody wants to walk up to the counter with this book in their hand. So most everybody buys it online. I suspect, you know, Amazon is probably the biggest seller of it because it can be anonymous. And isn't that interesting? Because I think the men who are struggling with pornography also feel like it's anonymous, but not so much anymore as we mm -hmm. find out more and more in the news. So mm -hmm. It's, it's what it is. The book, I think, has blessed a lot of women and helped them find healing for their heart. And, and it's a very different kind of book. Um, as, as you and I have talked about, Colleen, you know, it's, it's not a book about how to fix your husband. Because we, we don't have the ability to do that. This is between our husbands and God. And he's the only one who can really, the Holy Spirit's the only one can, who can convict. And he doesn't need our help. In fact, we tend to get in the way. And so this book is really for that woman whose heart is broken and she needs um, to deal with the betrayal that she's experienced and, and really learn how she can be okay regardless of her husband's daily choices. Link the book in our episode notes. So yeah. Let everyone know, but go ahead, Ashley. I was just going to say like, you're like, I can see where like wanting to reading the book to want to fix your husband would be a natural reaction. So Rather than that, like how, like how should a woman respond like when she finds out that her husband's looking at pornography or possibly addicted to pornography? Like how should a woman respond? Absolutely. Oh, that's such a load, loaded question. And if it's okay, I'm going to back up a tiny bit because I think it's important for women to know how do they even know if their husband's struggling with this? Some women find out the hard way. They walk in on their husband. Um, and sadly, he's usually not just looking at pornography. He's often engaging in self-gratification. And um, that's an extremely painful experience. 
for a woman or maybe she gets on the computer and all of these images start coming up because of the cookies and and stuff that have been implanted in the computer because porn has been viewed that's very devastating um but there's a few things that a woman can be looking for that are, are kind of red flags. This doesn't necessarily mean he's for sure looking at pornography, but these are some things that if you see a pattern of them, it should cause you to ask some questions. So some of those would be that he's preoccupied with visual sexual images. If he has passwords on all of his internet devices and he refuses to share them, if there are email passwords that you Aren't a, you know, if, if any password can't be shared between a husband and wife, other than perhaps if they work for an employee, employer kind of situation, but passwords should be shared. If you discover pornographic magazines, videos, computer websites, if there are unexplained credit card expenses, I cannot tell you how many women I've talked to who have found out when they go to refinance a home or to purchase a vehicle or to, or they start getting mail you know, from creditors that they are in, you know, deep trouble financially because of their husband's um, porn has just become rampant and they find out financially. Um, if he stays up long after everyone else is in bed night after night, or you wake up, you've gone to bed together, but then at two and three o'clock in the morning, you discover that he's up and he's on the computer. If you discover evidence of, for example, a post office box that you didn't know about, um, and another one that I think is interesting for people is that if he is disinterested in intimacy with you, but he's acting out in many of the ways that I just described, that can also be an indicator that pornography could be involved. So before I jump into then, what do you do? If you just, <laughs> do you have questions about that? I'm actually a little bit ignorant about how it even works online is there and i'm just curious um is there a lot of free stuff or is it um or does a lot of it require do they show you a little and say put in a credit card to see further because i'm not even sure how it works i know that's a great question okay so yes there's a lot of free stuff and you don't even necessarily have to go to pornographic sites um youtube has a ton of porn on it even sites like instagram can have a lot of porn on it um, all of those sorts of things. It's not just the red flag ones that we often hear about for sexting, but it's, you know, a lot of those sites, you, they, they can access free porn. What happens is after a while, what's available for free no longer satisfies. It's just kind of like a drug does. They don't have the same chemical response anymore. And so they seek um, riskier behavior. And that's kind of how this escalates so quickly because women tend to not, well, men too, when they get started, if they, if they just started looking at their dad's Playboy magazines when they were a kid, and it often starts around 9, 10, 11 years of age, most men who are struggling, even, you know, older men, 50s, 60s, will tell you that started looking at their dad's Playboys. And they never dreamt that they'd end up where they are today, which could have led them to, you know, prostitutes and, and you know, all kinds of um, child pornography, all kinds of things. And they never dreamt that it would get there, but they quit getting the response at the initial stuff. So yes, there is a boatload of free material. Um, but after a while that doesn't satisfy. And so then there are a lot of paid sites. Um, some of the more horrific things I've heard of recently is where men can actually request 
what they want to see. And there's a woman in a room who then is forced to perform those things specifically for him based on what he pays, which wow. is where some of those I know, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's when I have a young wife come to me and she says, there's $8,000 on my credit card in these places. That's, that's how I learned about that one. I, mean, I had it, no idea. I didn't <laughs> I'm like, wow, I didn't know it could get that bad. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And, well, and that's where, you know, then children get involved in, I mean, it's, it is beyond horrific what can happen. So I, you know, so that takes me back to another, um, thing that you mentioned because it was like, well, if they're looking at pornography or if they might even be addicted. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I go, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that one really gets me going because here's the thing. There is no casual looking at pornography, period. You don't just casually look at pornography. Now, um, pornography looks for us, especially it looks for our children and it looks for our men, but it, it really is looking for kids these days because if they can have a child in that impressionable brain age where they're 11, 12, 13, and they get them then, they can have them for life and they can become big spenders in that realm. So that's one thing to be aware of. Um, but rarely is someone just casually looking at pornography now and then. If someone just happens upon something and they see something and they they don't go any further and they go, oh my gosh, how do I get this off? And they're never on again. They're not looking at pornography. I mean, that has happened to me. That has happened to you know, just about everybody. I know it's hard to avoid that. If someone is even casually going to look at pornography now and then, it's already affecting their brain. It's already changing their brain chemistry. And they're thinking about it or they wouldn't have gone looking for it. And anytime something is changing your daily habit and and in my opinion taking us away from something that god has ordained and we're not it's not god glorifying it's an addiction it's an idol in our lives and and we have to be extremely cautious so um i always say that the wives that are the luckiest are the ones whose husbands struggle with pornography because there's a whole lot of people in this world who are just doing pornography and there is no struggle. Hmm. And at least when there's a struggle, you know that the Holy Spirit's at work. Right. right. Yeah. And there's some real hope. I hadn't thought about it that way. <laughs> One of the things that I hear from these women over and over again is, is did I do something to cause this? Or can I do something to get my husband to stop? And you kind of touched about that in the beginning, that we cannot change our husbands. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But can you just... Talk to the women out there who are feeling like maybe I wasn't having sex enough with my husband and, and that's why he did it, or they're blaming themselves in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I think that is the number one um, feeling that a woman has when she finds out is that I must not have been enough. Um, I not, must not have been um, appealing enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not attractive enough. I am not performing well enough in the bedroom. I'm not, or often enough or whatever. I'm just not enough. And um, I, I can't say strongly enough <laughs> that this is not your fault. This is absolutely not your fault. In the end, we are all responsible for ourselves and how we walk in obedience to God's word, or we don't. And we can't control anyone else's choices but our own. We certainly can't control our husband's choices. 
And this has nothing to do with the size of her jeans or her bra size or how often she's being intimate. You know, there, there needs to be, um, when a woman finds out that her husband is addicted to pornography and um, it's out of control, most good Christian sexual or, you know, counselors who are, are, are counseling in this area will actually encourage people to take a, a sexual fast while they get their hearts right with the Lord and they begin to, to do the important mental health work. And I often tell women, and, I, and this is in my book actually, that there needs to be spiritual and emotional intimacy before there can be healthy sexual intimacy. It's, it's just critical. You, you just can't really have the type of sexual intimacy that God designs for us if we don't first have spiritual and emotional intimacy. And so it's really important for women to understand that what, what is happening for most of these men, and, and men will tell you this, if you ask them, did you start looking at pornography because your wife wasn't enough? In almost every situation, the man will say, this has nothing to do with my wife. This has nothing to do with her. This isn't about her. I'm not even thinking about her when I'm doing this, which doesn't make wife feel any better. But at the same time, um, they mean that. This isn't about them. This is more about um, a hole in their heart that they are trying to fill with the wrong things. And don't we do the same thing? Right. Many women fill that empty hole with food, with girlfriends, with shopping, with... Mm -hmm. You know, who knows what soap operas? I don't know. I don't know if soap operas are a big thing anymore, but that's <laughs> a big thing. But you know what I'm saying? I think as many men who struggle with pornography, there are an equal or greater number of women who struggle with body image issues and struggle with their relationships with food. Hmm. Um, and it's what we do with it. And so I think when men are, especially when they feel stressed, when they feel inadequate, when they feel, for, and it, that's not inadequacy caused by her. It's just their own sense of self. They tend to try to self-soothe with false things. And pornography gives a false intimacy that isn't intimacy at all. But it feels kind of like intimacy. And they get a, a physical response from it. And what happens then is over time, they can no longer get that same physical response when they actually are trying to be intimate with their wife. Hmm. So I used to think in my naivete that, um, that if someone was addicted to pornography, they probably wanted to have sex all the time and it was going to be crazy. Like they, you know, it was just going to be them living out what they saw. And um, very, very often the opposite is true. And women are saying, I'm available to my husband and he wants nothing to do with me. It's been five years. It's been 10 years and he oh. won't be intimate with me. He won't hug me. He won't kiss me. He wants nothing to do with me. And I hear that far more often than the opposite. And, wow. and, and there's actually a term, they, they call it sexual anorexia and men who are addicted to pornography there's, there's new research that shows that that's really becoming a big thing. Mm -hmm. So what can, what should a woman do? I mean, did, I, I guess you answered that in some way, but should she seek out her pastor or, you know, like what, 
you said you mentioned therapy was like a good option. Um, are there any other options you would recommend for? Yeah, you know, um, I wish I could say that a woman is always safe going um, to her pastor. Mm -hmm. I wish I could say that. I have sent so many women to their pastors, though, and um, had had a situation where the pastor said, if you lost weight or if you had sex with your husband more often. And so I think um, I'm not going to say women shouldn't go to their pastors, but women need to evaluate whether their church is a safe place. And I actually, again, in the, in the book, I talk about how do you tell? <laughs> how do I know what church is a safe place? We can't tell by looking at our pastor if he struggles with pornography himself, but there is a tremendously huge number of pastors that do struggle with this because pastors are overworked and very stressed and put in long, long hours, and this seems like a safe way for them in their mind um, to deal with that stress. And so um, there are a lot of pastors who struggle with this. I have a lot of pastor's wives in my support groups and missionaries' wives in my support groups. Um, that being said, if you have a church that you see that there are a lot of broken and hurting people and they are, right, they are welcomed and they are given good counsel and they are safe going to the leadership of the church and they are supported and not um, shamed, then you probably have a safe church and you can go and talk to that pastor. And that would be fabulous. I think there's a place for pastoral counseling. I think there's a place for professional counseling. A lot of pastors, um, are not equipped to deal with a sexual addiction. They're just not. It's a deep-seated issue, and I think it's more important to find a professional who is an expert in this area, who is also a Christian, than necessarily finding a Christian counselor who is not well-versed in sexual addictions. Right, so it, it's because it's kind of a touchy thing. So it's like you have to find someone who actually knows and is willing to discuss it because I can see where some people would not really want to discuss it. Oh, for sure. And so, you know, yeah. We're going to, pastors are just in a different situation where they may feel like they need to be that person's accountability person and they simply don't have the margin for that. And that's something I'm often brainstorming with other wives. Like they'll say, okay, my husband needs to have an accountability person. I'm a huge advocate of covenant eyes. Um, and and I will say, I mean, even on my website, if you go to vickytd.com on the blog, you can get a month free of Covenant Eyes um, and try it. But every single person in my house has Covenant Eyes on, on their computer. My, my boys do. I do. It's on all of our devices. Um, I mean, that's just important. But we're, we have accountability partners, people who watch and see what we're looking at, not because we're doing anything wrong, but because we want to be held to a higher standard. A wife should never be her husband's accountability partner. Mm -hmm. Period. Never. Oh my goodness. It causes so many problems. But finding a good accountability person can also be really challenging because I hear women say all the time, my husband's went to a support group. All the men struggled. They're each other's accountability and they get a lot of attaboys. They, they hear a lot of, Mm, oh, I had a yeah. bad too. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. One thing I encourage people to do is look at who have been the elders in your church. And maybe they aren't a current elder, but they have, they're, they're, what's the term? 
not season, <laughs> their season of eldering, you know what I'm talking about. They're mature, but you know, like usually they have terms. And if their term is done, at least in, in the churches that I'm more familiar with, when their term of eldering is done, that doesn't mean they no longer qualify as an elder. It just yeah. means they've put in their years and they get to take a little break. Those might be great people. They're usually men of integrity who are godly and mature and have some wisdom and would probably be willing to come alongside and be an accountability partner for a husband. So mm -hmm. that's one thing. You, you asked what women should do then. Um, one is, you know, find safe support. I think that's really important. Whether that's a pastor, whether that's, um, you know, a good friend who you know has walked through this, you don't want to go and blabber this to everybody. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Right? And we, mm -hmm. you know, like people were private messaging you, Colleen, because they didn't want to just put it out there for the world. We want to protect our husband's reputations. And yet when we find out about the addiction, now we have that albatross around our neck. And usually the husband feels so much better. Like, oh, thank you. This isn't my secret anymore. No, now it's yours. So what mm -hmm. do you think? So I, I encourage people to look around, ask pastors if there's someone in the church who has walked through this and come out on the other side walking victoriously, that their marriage has been saved. Would that couple walk with you and your husband? That's huge. Find a support group. Now, it's not your job to find him a support group. It's your husband's job to find his own support group. The pastor can make recommendations, counselors can make recommendations but you can find your own support group and it is harder to find support groups for wives. Um, it's, it's very hard. There are only 7% of Christian churches that offer any sort of support for men struggling with pornography. 7%. So can you even imagine women didn't even make the survey support groups for wives in churches. We're not even on the radar. I offer an online support group that women can participate in, and I'll make sure you have that information, but you can get it on my website too. If women are interested in leading groups like this in their churches, we have um, a leader's guide that can be um, downloaded from my website that goes along with when your husband's addicted to pornography. And so women could start their own group and get you know a small group of women together. That's wonderful. And I was actually going to ask you to mention your support group. Mm -hmm. So Vicki, when you wrote your book and, and even to those listening now, what's the most important thing you can share with a woman? What do you want her to know right now? That woman who's sitting, listening to this, maybe weeping at this point, knowing she's who you're talking about. Can you offer her some hope? You know, God's big enough to handle any of this. And I think the number one thing that happens when we find this out, we just feel so betrayed and hurt. And yet it's, in some ways, it's more painful. I hear oftentimes it's more painful than if a husband goes and has a physical affair with one person because you know that perhaps they have fantasized about thousands of women when they've looked at pornography and you don't know what's, you can't compete with digitally enhanced images, nor should you. But, but there is hope. And there's always hope in the Lord, and I'm a huge champion of that. And I want her to know, I mean, even in my book, that's the first place I start because we feel hopeless in this. Like, how can I fix this? There's, there's nothing that we can do to fix this. You're not responsible for your husband's daily choices. And so 
I think you have to trust that, that you are able to leave your husband in God's hands, that he really does have this, and um, that you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. I mean, that seems so, what, trite to say, but um, I think the best marriage advice I ever give to people is, one, try to be the biggest servant in your house. That doesn't mean be the doormat, but be a servant in your house. I, I often point women to Philippians 4, 8, and, and we're, we're so, you know, well-versed with that, that verse that talks about, you know, what we should think about. But my favorite part is in um, when it says, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so I just encourage women to ask God every day, will you show me something praiseworthy about my husband? Will you show me what I can affirm in him and, and celebrate? Because when this happens, everything feels dark and bad. And it's easy to slip into black and white thinking and think, now this man that I thought was all good now must clearly be all bad. So, you know, be the biggest servant in your house. Make God your source of satisfaction, not your spouse. That's hard, but, but he needs, you know, God needs to be our source of satisfaction and, and above all seek the glory of God in, in, in your healing. Seek him as the source of your healing, not your husband, not your husband's choices. You, we can walk in joy. We can be whole. We can have a stronger marriage if we focus on our relationship with the Lord and pray that our husband makes that choice too. And I don't get to be his Holy Spirit. I don't get to be the one that pulls him closer to the Lord. I don't get to be the one that um, points out his every wrong. So I, I, just, I just want wives to be encouraged. I, though my first marriage did not survive, I have now had over 10,000 women read my book and we've supported so many women in our online support group and I get letters from women every single day saying, you know, this is what I needed. I needed more of Jesus. I didn't need a how to fix my husband book. I needed to be connected to the one who can make my heart whole no matter what. And the majority of those marriages have been saved, but there are some that God says, not now. This, I'm, you know, I'm going to restore your heart, but I'm not going to restore this marriage right now. He needs more help. And sometimes a man has to sink to the bottom before he is willing to, to reach out to the Lord and get the help he needs to get. Hmm. Yeah, Vicki, it's a good reminder to all of the ladies that the Lord can heal your heart if your heart is broken right now in this. Hmm. The Lord can heal your heart. You know, if you think of everything the Lord has done for you, yeah, he can heal your heart. And and sometimes it's a desperate place, you know, for these women, I think, too. Well, one thing that I did is I went in our group and I asked ladies, I told them I was having you on, and several of our ladies have read your book. And I said, what are some questions that I can ask her? And I don't know if we're going to get to all of them, but we would like to ask you some of them. And I can ask the first one. Okay. Okay. So the first one's kind of short. It says, "I'm about to marry a man who is addicted to pornography. Should I be con should I be concerned? What should I know going in?" Well, I'm going to be very frank here. 
yes, you should be concerned. And no, you shouldn't be marrying him. I mean, don't, no. I, I talk to young girls all the time. I talk to girls in college. I talk to young women. And, and that is my counsel every single time. Do not marry someone who has a known pornography addiction until and unless they have ac accepted responsibility for their behavior. They have repented of that behavior. And by repentance, I don't mean saying, I'm sorry. I mean, mean putting their face down to the ground and, and repenting before the Lord and doing a 180 degree turn from that behavior. It has to stop. There has to be accountability. There has to be a support group. They need to get professional counseling and, and have a plan. Just saying, well, here's, here's the fallacy that, that the world has given is that, um, and I think in the Christian world, we're really guilty of this because, because of um, biblical standards of not being sexually intimate before marriage, many young people who are choosing to marry later um, think, okay, well, pornography is okay because I'm not really having sex and I'll just do it until I get married. And then when I am able to be intimate whenever I want to or whenever they want to, wherever we can, and it's quote unquote legal, I won't ever need to look at pornography again. But see, it doesn't work that way. Because remember, pornography is false intimacy. And this biblical covenant marriage that you're in, that is true godly intimacy. And one cannot replace the other because they're two very different things. It's like trying to put a square, a heart-shaped thing into the shape of a square. It's not going to work. It might work for a short period of time, but as soon as there's a little bit of stress, as soon as, you know, um, it, it's that time of the month or it's something that's preventing, you know, you have a baby <laughs> and nobody's sleeping and nothing is happening or there's a period of healing and, and you're not able to be intimate and then the pornography comes rushing back and it's bigger and it's worse and it, it grows. I just strongly, I'm sorry, this is a longer answer than it should be, but I strongly <laughs> advise against marrying someone who has a known addiction to pornography. And I know I sound pretty vehement about that, but I am. I've just seen too many broken women, too many women whose husbands no longer can be the breadwinner in their family because the addiction has cost them everything. Their jobs, their homes, their their credit ratings, their their physical health because it's led to prostitution and, and all kinds of one night stands and, and to the point that now she has sexually transmitted diseases. And I've heard it all. And I, I can't strongly enough say don't marry someone who has a known pornography addiction unless they have gotten all of the possible help and there's filters in place and there's and a period of time when there's some evidence that there really is no activity going on. Hmm. I actually appreciate your honesty, and I just wanted to add something that one of the thing that I'm, things I'm hearing from young women, they're getting married, they maybe did or didn't know that their future husband had an addiction to pornography, but their intimate relationship is not what God intended it to be, because he is not necessarily turned on by her. He's turned on by pornography, but not necessarily by her. Some of these women aren't able to have a complete sexual experience even with um, their husbands. And so 
it can affect so many things. And I actually have talked to two women who ended up with sexually transmitted diseases because it went from pornography to prostitutes. Wow. It's more, more women than I can tell you. It, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And the, the other thing is, is you have to remember if you're marrying this man, my assumption is, and maybe this isn't fair, but my assumption is that at some point you may want to start a family. And if he's addicted to pornography going into this, you better believe that you're going to have pornography in your home and your children will be exposed to it even earlier because of his addiction. And the mm -hmm. ramifications and fallout of that is just incomprehensible. And we already live in a porn, impure culture that is promoting everything anti-Bible possible we have got to protect the sanctity of our homes and the sanctity of our marriages. Wow. That was a really good answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a mic drop kind of answer. Okay. I have, is it okay if I move on to another question sure. here? Sure. Um, okay. So this one's a little bit longer. Let me see. It says, I would love to hear advice on how to get the idea of what your husband has been looking at out of your mind when you're trying to be intimate together. Kind of, how to keep from wondering, is he playing out something with me that he's seen on the computer? And how to keep fear, bitterness out of those times, especially when you don't trust that he's really quit. Yeah. Oof. That's a particularly hard um, one. And I addressed a little bit earlier in that I think that when you first find out that there's pornography, there does need to be a period of a sexual fast. And you should be doing that um, with the consultation of a professional therapist. Because what, what typically happens, and I've worked with lots and lots of couples in this situation, and I am not, for the record, a therapist. I happen to be married to one now, um, a child psychologist, um, and he would second all of this information. But um, I, I, I point all of my couples to counselors, and I hear this all the time, um, that they take a sexual fast for a period of time under the you know observation of a counselor who's giving them basically homework to be working on things to be working on to get spiritually right and emotionally right and to help with those thoughts and things and and to be rebuilding trust i mean mm -hmm. how does a woman open herself up physically to a man when she doesn't trust him yeah you can't, you can't. that is just it, it's almost abusive to ask her to do that and so it's so important that they can reestablish safe, emotional and spiritual intimacy first. But they almost have to go back to this dating season of feeling safe, just touching with hugs or holding hands and not feeling like it has to follow, be followed by something more. Um, hmm. Again, I've got a whole, a whole section on the book that talks about this and kind of gives step by step of how to do this in, in that you know, when you are finally ready to be intimate again, there are things you can do like turning on the lights and having conversations and talking throughout the, that, you know, um, time of intimacy and asking questions and being honest about your concerns. But there's something about having the lights on and being able to connect your eyes to know that he's there and he's thinking about you and not somebody else. If you've had the unfortunate um, experience of seeing some of what he has seen, there really isn't a way to get that out of your mind other than to ask the Lord to, to heal you from those memories. Hmm. I, I can tell you that I didn't, 
Um, I, I got glimpses of the pornography um, in my first marriage, but in the course of doing the research for this book, I one time happened upon a video put out by a ministry that I thought was going to be safe to watch because it was put out by the ministry and it was decidedly not safe for me to have watched. And the memories of that are burned in my mind hmm. and I, I can't get rid of it. And so then I, you know, I almost feel like it was a blessing in that the Lord gave me a tiny, a tiny snippet of what it's like for a man who has looked at thousands of images yeah. and, and the incredible work that, that God does when he does heal someone from this addiction. So. Um, this is like unrelated, but have you, I guess you already said this, you've seen a lot of healed marriages and heal like men healed from this. Yes. Like, you did already say that, didn't you? Yeah. I'm remembering, I, but I have seen a lot of, of marriages healed from this. And, mm. and I think in particular, when they go through the steps, you know, they, they go and they get professional counseling, they, um, work with their pastors, they get involved in support groups, they talk to other couples who have gone through this, they do accountability software. There's so many fabulous studies available that men can be going through something all the time. You know, you don't, a, a support group is kind of like AA, you, you don't quit. You may eventually need to go a little bit less often, but you don't just outright quit. Hmm. Okay. Well, because it, we could probably talk about this all day because there's just so much to get to, but I think we're just going to do one last question because of time. Well, first of all, we recommend anyone who's listening to this to go and buy the book, which is linked on the website, because I think that's important. And also, if you don't have a support group, we're going to link how you can get involved with an online support group. How can we help women, whether it be our friends, whether it be women we're mentoring or discipling, whether it be, you know, women in our church, how can we be a help to women who are going through this? Oh, um, I love that you asked this question because I, I see this done really well sometimes and I see this done really badly sometimes. You know, none of us can know what it's like to be a widow unless we've been a widow. None of us can know what it's like to have breast cancer unless we've had breast cancer. And none of us know what it's like to be married to a man addicted to pornography unless we've been married to a man addicted to pornography. And even then, we do this single file. It's going to be different than the other person just because of our relationships and the experiences and the things they're involved in. So if you're listening and you are someone who has not experienced this, I encourage you to be a good listener, but to refrain from giving counsel. And to refrain from saying the trite things that people tend to say, because it's extremely painful and it's extremely hurtful. And um, when women say things like, well, is there anything you think you should have done better? Oh, yeah. I hear it all the time. I've even mm. seen it on our, on our page. I've seen people say things that I know their heart is right, but, but they have no idea the damage they are doing to mm -hmm. the when they say things like that. So listen and affirm them for having the courage and um, to be transparent and the, the bravery. I mean, just to be transparent and to say, this is happening in my marriage and I am hurting. 
and repeat back what you've heard them say, but just listen. And then point them to the resources where it's people who are going to give godly counsel, but they've walked through this walk. I mean, one of the things that I hear probably more often than anybody else is, um, Vicki, I felt like I was sitting down having coffee with you when I read this book. Hmm. And I will say when your husband's addicted to pornography is specifically about when your husband's addicted to pornography. Duh. But it's just a good marriage book. If you just are trying to navigate marriage, I've had countless women and men who've read this book say the same thing, that this is just good counsel. If you, all of us know somebody whose husband's addicted to pornography. You may not know that you know them, but we all know somebody. Because um, over 50% of the church has a husband addicted to pornography. Hmm. So this isn't a small issue. This is a big, big issue. So be a friend. Listen. If you've walked through it, if you and your husband are in a spot where you're walking in victory and you're willing to let people know, especially leadership in your church know, hey, we struggled with this and we're doing incredible and these are the things we've put in place and we would love to come alongside other people who are struggling with this, you will be so high on your pastor's list, he will just throw his arms around you because every pastor in our country is dealing with this issue and they need help. They need our support. Yeah. So um, that's just a couple of things. But I just, I think point women toward godly resources. Be a listening ear. Don't be judgmental. Don't suggest that she needs to do something differently. Mother-in-laws in particular, mother-in-laws tend to be very defensive of, of their sons if they hear that their son is struggling with this. And they tend to put it on her. Well, if she were only... Oh, I hear that story so often. Hmm. And so mother-in-laws, be especially gentle and, and tender if you hear that your daughter-in-law is, is walking this path. Hmm. You know, maybe just to add one more thing, I think you, you mentioned covenant eyes, and I didn't give you this one ahead of time, but what can we do as parents to protect our children? We can do a whole other podcast on this. <laughs> <laughs> Too long of an answer. <laughs> is because here's the thing. Since I wrote this book, I am bombarded by parents all the time. And not just boys. I'm almost on a weekly basis hearing from parents of daughters, young, seven, eight, nine, being exposed to pornography. One, never, 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 this is just off the top of the head, but never let them have computers or tablets or any devices that are not in an open space. Never in the bedrooms, period. Never. It mm -hmm. has to be somewhere where you can see what's going on. You have to have filtering software. We are big advocates and, and I'm, you know, I am an affiliate of Covenant Eyes because I so believe in what they do and that they are trying to stay on top of everything. But technology changes so quickly. But I think more than anyone, they're on top of everything. I love that one. Um, Disney has come up with a device called Circle. I think it's I've heard great. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, it's on our list to get it as well. I would do both. Um, most routers, most Wi-Fi routers have parental protections on there. We use all of that. We shut down their devices at a certain time. They cannot access Wi-Fi at certain times. We never let our... Even our teenage kids, our kids 15 and 17, 17 today, we never um, let them charge their phones in their bedrooms at night. They charge either in our bedroom or in the kitchen hmm. so that it's a different floor of the house or in our room. 
it's not that we don't trust our kids. We just want to protect them. Right. And yeah. It's so important. And we know that it's tempting and that other kids do have their devices in their rooms and we'll reach out to them in the night. Mm-hmm. So those are a few things. Um, I wouldn't have electronics in my house if we did not have covenant eyes on hmm. everything. I just wouldn't. Um, that's critical. The other thing is, is you have to have conversations with your kids. You have to be talking about this. I, I am shocked. I, I was doing a, a conference in, in the Atlanta era, area with um, a big ministry, and I was talking about pornography, and they wanted to promote this conference on um, the Christian radio station, and they wouldn't allow it because it was family-friendly, and they didn't want to say the P word. And we said, you know what? Those kids have already probably seen it. Mm-hmm. If you're not talking about it, somebody else is. We have to talk to our kids. Yeah. There's a great children's book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures that I highly recommend. Huh. For little kids? It, or- yeah, young. Yeah, yeah, it can start young, but it's good all the way through middle school, I would say. Huh. Definitely worth checking out. You can use it at lots of different levels, but it's so important. I, I mean, so many preschoolers have access to their an iPad. You know, they're on tablets all the time. We've got to have stuff on there. I mean, I, I've had parents of seven-year-olds whose kids are looking at hardcore porn, not yeah. just pictures, video, yeah. and seeing horrific things because they're being targeted. So, yeah, it's a really big deal. I think you would probably say don't let your kids have a Snapchat, too. <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> um, I will tell you that I'm... Um, you know, I would, I would be lying if I didn't say my, you know, my boys now at 17, we, we are a homeschool family and that does not protect you from anything. Right, right. No, you, nothing. Um, many, many homeschool families struggling with this stuff, but I access my boys' phones all the time. They're not allowed to be on any social media that I'm not their first friend. And I do. And, and, you know, in fact, I talk to youth groups now and then to the, the parents, you know, they'll invite me to come and talk to a youth group about how to protect their kids. And, and I talk about, you don't need to read every single thing on your kid's phone every day. You know, part of launching your children is helping them learn how to be trustworthy. And, um, but as soon as you find out that they're not being trustworthy, you take mm-hmm. that back and you, you rein it in. I mean, this we we truly could do it an entire another podcast. Yeah. Um, and I would say if we did that, we should bring my husband in because he is a child psychologist at Mayo Clinic. Oh and wow! Yeah, that's a great idea. We might we might have to we might have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> great idea. When you're talking, more questions are coming. To yeah, you. we better cut it off somewhere though. Yeah. <laughs> we would love to have you on again, and even with your husband to talk about protecting our children because yeah. I think I think that's so important. And I even when I was preparing for this, I did not write that question down. But that is another question I get. I have four sons. They're ages 14 to almost 21. And so, of course, people come and say, well, you have older sons. Tell me this, you know, and we love Covenant Eyes also. But you you said so much more than I've ever even thought of. I think just really wonderful, yeah, wonderful advice. And we recommend, ladies, if you're in this situation, go pick up her book. We're linking her book on the website, BibleThumpingWingnet.com. Click on Theology Gals. On this episode, we're linking her book. We're 
linking her website. We're linking, you're going to get me the information for the support groups, Vicki, and we're going to link all of this. And also to her website, if you don't have something like Covenant Eyes, and Covenant Eyes is very wonderful, go to her website, get that month free and sign up because yeah. you, you need that on, whether you have kids or not. You need that on your computer. So um, we just appreciate so much, Vicki, that you, that you made time for us. I know you have such a busy schedule, and this was just so wonderful. It's helped me so much already to know where I can point women to when they're writing to me. Well, it's been my pleasure to be here. I will say that in our support groups, we've got another one starting this fall. We only take eight women at a time, and we only have five more places available. So um, you can access that link right on my website, and it's okay. really easy to register. But if women really need that support, it's only eight weeks, and they should get registered quickly because it will fill. And we'll try to start a second group if we have a facilitator, but that's not always possible. So. That's great to know. I know there's just so many women struggling with this and it's just heartbreaking. So, well, thank you so much, Vicki, and we will be right back. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTPlanet.com, coupon code BTWN. Okay, so Ash, I'm so glad we got to have Vicki on for this topic. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to remind everyone, all the resources that we talked about are on the website, BibleDumpingWingNet.com. Click on Theology Gals, click on this episode, and you'll find those resources. If you're somebody who's been struggling with this, please go and order the book. You know, I actually did some research and did not find very much out there for women. There's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff out there for men who are struggling with this. But yeah. there are not a lot for the wives. Yeah. And because of what a big problem this is, you know, a lot of these women who are writing to me, the thing I loved about the interview is that she did definitely communicate that there is hope. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. the end of the world because your husband is addicted to pornography. We, no matter what the situation in, that we're in, that we always have hope in Christ. Yeah. There's nothing in which we don't have hope in Christ. So, well, I'm excited to get back to the question of the week. Me too. It's been like a month. Yeah. yeah. So you, do you want to do one this time, Ashley? No, you go. Okay. You're better. You're just better. Yeah. Well, no, I cheat. Yeah. I have the list from when I ask people in the group, give me some ideas for question of the week. Okay. So <laughs> I think this goes along with what we talked about earlier with your, with your Italy trip and that is what is your favorite kind of food so okay you have to think um this one's hard for me because i have two but yeah 
So when we answer next week, I might have to say two. I, cause it's, yeah, that's a, how do you pick? There's so many, I know, so many good ones. And you yeah. know what? In California, so, oh my so gosh. Of one particular kind of good thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Denver, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this one. You're just really not, like, if you're a foodie, hmm. it's not really, not, not like, when we go to California, we're like, okay, we got to eat this place, this place, and this place. When we go to Chicago, we got to eat all these places. But it's just, you have all the typical chains here. And there is a new Italian restaurant in, in our town called Pinocchio's that is so, so, so good. They make these toasted raviolis with a creamy tomato, a spicy creamy tomato cheese sauce. Like, they, wow. They melt in your mouth. I, it's the most amazing thing. But, yeah. But not, you know, we do have some Mexican food here, but here, green chili is very popular, which I didn't really grow oh, up with in California. I love green chili. Well, I, I lived in New Mexico oh, for seven years, and so everything had green chili in it. Yes. And to this day, I love it. I could eat green chili in everything. Yeah. I think ours is a lot more like like New Mexico, actually. Yeah, like a Southwestern kind of. Yes. Yeah. So, and let me see. Let me add something to it. What is, what is your favorite food? What is your favorite kind of food? And what is the best meal you've ever had? So we'll add like an extra exciting thing to that. I don't okay. Know how to answer that. But if maybe I just want to hear when I post it in the group if any of the women have like, oh, I had the most amazing meal once. You know. Oh, I already have an answer, and I have a funny story. So I'll have to remember both my answer and my funny story. So, hey, I'll tell you a funny story. I'll tell you one of the worst meals I ever had when I was dating my husband. Sure. He wanted to make me dinner. And oh, no. He used a cookbook. And he put so much garlic. Like, <sighs> he did something wrong. So that, oh, man. Was like, he couldn't eat it. I took two bites and I just looked at him and said, I'm really sorry. Oh, sweet man. Oh, man. And he's like, I understand. I don't know what I did wrong. And I even tried <laughs> to help him figure it out. No. He couldn't figure it out. But he made up for it because he made a big chocolate chip cookie, like a huge one. And we put ice cream and whipped cream on it. Oh, there you go. He made up for it with that. That's like the thing to do if you're making something new. Like also make a big chocolate chip cookie with ice cream. In case the new recipe you tried totally bombs. Yeah. That's our advice of the week. If you're yeah, making a new recipe. <laughs> from Theology Gals. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, before we go, I just wanted to remind everybody that you can find all of our social media information on the website. Everything's on the website. If you'd like to support us a few dollars a month, there's a link to our Patreon on the website. And I want to mention just real quick, because I don't enough, that we appreciate Castle Pines for letting us use their music, the group from Corona, California, where we're from. And so we're grateful to them. And we have a link on, if you like their music, there's a link on our web website for Castle Pines too. So you can listen to some more, some more of their music. If you have Spotify, you can look them up and listen. That's what I do. So um, I think I think that's everything. We're on the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Don't want to forget that. And you know, one thing I said I was gonna try to like talk about a certain podcast from the network each week. And so I'll just say real quick, Slick Answers is a great one. 
they do a lot of apologetic stuff. It's with Matt Slick. He has a lot. You probably know him from CARM. Um, prepared of me. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to like yeah. interrupt you. No, that's okay. I was just thinking I'm not on social media right now, but if anyone is trying to contact me, you can find me on Facebook Messenger. I'm still there, even though I'm not on social media right now. And it's nice taking a fast sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just good to not have it there. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I do want to just quickly say that we have some amazing guests coming up. We are going to be having Rachel Miller from Daughter of the Reformation on to talk eternal subordination of the sun. We have a very special guest to talk about the history of the Reformation and the accusation that Calvin is a murderer. Was he really a murderer? I'll just tell you right now, <laughs> he was not. <laughs> so we're going to talk about... You should have left them hanging. <laughs> yeah. Really a murderer? Yeah. There's a lot of misrepresentations about that situation. And it, this, I'm very, very excited because the person I'm having on has done a several part series about what really happened and some of the misrepresentations and why it's important to handle history correctly. So, and then we're going to be having another guest. I'm not going to, oh, I'm going to leave one thing out hanging and she is a Presbyterian author who's written a book for women and has another book coming out. So, and she's somebody I know a lot of the gals in our group have read her books. We have, so I'm very excited about some of the guests that we have coming up. And Ashley and I are also discussing some topics that we want to do. If there's anything you would like us to talk about, you can email us at theologygals at gmail.com or find us on social media or somewhere. So, Well, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week.